Welcome to Pet Will Radio, a unique show about amazing animals and inspirational people. With your host, author, animal advocate, and attorney, Peggy Hoyt. Welcome to Pet Will. Hello and welcome. You are listening to All My Children Wear Fur Coats on Pet Will Radio. This show is brought to you by the law offices of Hoyt and Brian, MyPetWill.com, and PetFriendly.love. I'm your host, Peggy Hoyt. It's my pleasure to be with you today. Every time we get together, we explore options and alternatives for creating lasting legacies for our pets. And we get the awesome opportunity to talk to people who are doing so much out in the animal world to help the animals that we love. If you have any questions or comments, you can chat with us live at mixlr.com forward slash petwill, or you can join the conversation on Facebook at All My Children Wear Fur Coats. Today, I'd like to welcome our special guests. We have Linda Davis and Ruth Kennedy from Equimore Foundation. And Equimore is a horse organization, and we are going to learn all about what's going on with them as we proceed through the program today. So welcome, ladies. Thanks for having us. It is my pleasure, absolutely. And as I was mentioning, uh, horses are my favorite subject. I can talk about them endlessly, probably with anybody, even people who uh, don't know anything about horses. And um, introduce yourselves individually. And Linda, you start and tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay, well, my name is Linda Davis, and I'm the executive director of the Equimore Foundation. Um, I founded the organization in 1991 and applied for 501c3 nonprofit status, and that was granted in 1994. I've been here the entire time. Okay, that's so you must have loved horses for a long time. I was born on a, a cattle ranch in Montana, and we had horses there. Of course. Um, and what about you, Ruth? Yeah, my name is Ruth Kennedy. Um, I'm the president of the board of the Yakamore Foundation. And how did you get involved with the organization? My children went to college. I moved to Ashland and have been a lifelong animal person, a special spot for horses. So I came out to visit Yakamore Foundation when I moved to Ashland and took Tell us a little bit about um, the area that you're in. I'm not familiar with Ashland. In southern Oregon, about uh, 15 miles, I think, from the California border. All um, right. So you're practically Californians, but you probably don't like that, huh? <laughs> Those of us that moved here from California don't usually tell people that. <laughs> I'm sure that that's true. Um, I'm looking at some pictures. It, it looks... Um, very pretty, though, and hilly and uh, green grass for the horses. Yeah, it's incredibly beautiful, and, and our facility is just a gorgeous area. Tell me a little bit about the facility itself. Well, we have uh, foundation owns 22 acres, and we have a big indoor arena with uh, 26 stalls inside the big main barn and another 11 stall barn outside of that. 
Plus, we have several pastures with uh, shelters on it that house several, uh, well, quite a few of the horses here at the sanctuary. And where do most of the horses come from that, that end up in the sanctuary? It's a high-end dressage boarding and training facility. Now it's got this gorgeous facility that's occupied. Okay, that sounds just incredible. So where where do um, where do most of the horses come from that are there at the sanctuary? We have horses mostly from our local area, but we also have some horses from California, Washington State, any place that's close enough to transport. But most of them are um, in southern or central Oregon. Okay, and are, do all of the horses have some sort of a history of abuse or starvation or something? Yeah, our, I tend to think of our horses in sort of two categories. One is they've just been so severely neglected that their lives are actually in danger. And we have kind of another group of horses that have just been so badly treated or managed that they've become dangerous. And so the people then, of course, want to put the horse down because they're dangerous. So both of those extremes and kind of everything in the middle. So um, as part of the mission of your organization, so neglected horses, you may be able to bring them back to full health. Um, and then um, do you readopt horses after they've been rehabilitated? No, this is a sanctuary. We uh, do not adopt the horses. Once they arrive here, they have a forever home. They okay. Go ahead. Say a little bit more about that. I didn't mean to interrupt you. A lot of our horses um, wouldn't be adoptable by virtue of um, physical condition or temperament. But the other thing that we've really noticed, and we've actually looked into the science of a little bit, actually starve a horse to a certain level, they've been not just living off at stores, stores, actually some of them live off, and those don't regenerate. So in a number of cases where you've had a horse that's severely starved, and you think you've brought them back, and it turns out they have severe medical a couple years or later, resulting from original starvation. Right. You're you're going in and out on me a little bit. I, I don't know if it's a technical issue on our end or on yours. Um, I'm trying to speak up. Okay. But I do know um, what you're talking about because I have a rescue horse myself who was starved as a yearling. And um, fortunately, she... Um, she did not suffer any long-term effects, but um, some of the horses that came in at the same time she did um, have had issues throughout their lifetime because their bones didn't develop normally and they, um, they just don't have the strength in their legs that they need to have to be um, even just regular trail riding horses, let alone, you know, anything else if, if anybody wanted to do competition of any kind on them. Yeah, I mean, it's really sad. There's just some damage you can't undo. And and I'm sure that people don't 
I mean, people don't know that. Obviously, the people who neglected or starved them in the first place don't care. Um, but then it makes it sad because that animal now for the rest of its life cannot really live out its purpose as a horse because of the, the physical um, deformities or other challenges that they might have. Um, right. Tell me how many horses you do have on the sanctuary right now. I have 54 uh, rescued or retired horses here right now, and sometimes we've had as many as 63. That's a lot of horses to take care of on a daily basis. I take care of three of my own on a daily basis, so I know what it takes to take care of three. I can't imagine um, the time commitment and the need for volunteers that it takes to take care of 54 horses. It's really a lot of work, and one of the reasons is that we're really committed to life. So even though majority of our horses spend the night in barns, they get turned out into their respective herds each day and brought back in. So aside from just feeding and caring for needs of all these horses, there's a daily turnout. It's also just really... And that does take a lot of time, too. I I know from experience that just moving horses around can be a full-time job, um, especially if you're having to lead each one individually. Um, that, can, that can certainly be a challenge. Um, tell me about some of your favorite horses that are in the sanctuary right now. Oh, gosh. Um they're all our favorites. They're all our favorites. <laughs> <laughs> of course they are. Um, I can tell you one quick story about a horse I'm particularly fond of. Her name is Sarah. She was the last horse that Equimore ever adopted. She was adopted out twice and returned. That's not uncommon. We actually have horses from other rescues here that were just not adoptable. But Sarah has got a lot of physical problems resulting from her, her treatment she got here. But the thing that's really heartening is to see the change in her emotionally over the years. She has gone from kind of a checked out nobody home that you could do anything to, to a really funny and affectionate, intelligent, social animal with opinions who's sometimes funny and sometimes naughty. And just watching emotional health for a horse is just incredibly satisfying. And it, it, it's funny that you would say that, you know, that she has opinions and, you know, she's really kind of come into herself because I think a lot of people that don't know horses don't necessarily understand how unique and interesting their individual personalities can be. As with all animals. I think a lot of people just think of horses as maybe being not that bright, and um, and yet we know that that's not true. I saw a guy on your uh, website that I wanted to ask about. Tell me about Dusty, the chestnut Belgian cross. Okay, well, Dusty's quite a personality. He was um, taken from a property or surrendered from a property that we um, ended up getting two other starvation victims from. And Dusty wasn't starved, but it was because he fed with two other horses, and he was the aggressor, 
and he was getting all the food and the others were starving. Ugh. Anyway, he came here and um, definitely is opinionated. He's food driven. That's all he can think about is eating. And um, a comic. I think also somewhere along the way he probably suffered some physical trauma of some kind, had some um, acupuncture and chiropractic done on him, and he definitely expressed discomfort in neck and his back and in the different treatments that he's had here. But, you know, to look at him, you'd never think that he had any ill treatment, but he definitely did. Okay. Well, um, I like any kind of a draft cross. I at one time had a Premarin mare who was a draft cross, and um, she was hysterical um, and sounds to be a lot like Dusty, very food motivated. Um, much, much like my Mustang Reno that I have today, I am sure he would let his uh, stable mate starve if it was a choice between him eating and somebody else getting something to eat. That's dusty. <laughs> well, I also see you have a horse named Echo Star. And um, Echo Star looks like my very first horse that I ever had as a 10-year-old. Her name was Julep. But um, she was a, um Arab-Welsh cross. But uh, Echo Star looks just like Julep. Tell me a little bit about him. Well, as a 5-year-old, uh, Echo Star was Italian. And he bit a woman savagely, and the animal, um, I think it was the sheriff's department, was involved, and they were going to down. And I, truthfully, it was so many years ago that I've forgotten who called us, but we ended up getting involved, and I asked that just let us geld him and see what we could do with his temperament after that. And he was quite dangerous and for years. Uh, he would take out after people if they uh, were in an open field with him. Um, he only ended up biting somebody once here, and it was a, a minor situation. But after all the years of being cared for, now is confident in people. He enjoys his life. He loves coming into the barn and being groomed and cared for. And I might also mention, as a stallion, uh, just before he bit that woman, the people that owned him managed him with a baseball bat. Oh. You can imagine how fearful he was and head shy and, and caused him probably to become aggressive. And fueled with testosterone, um, he ended up savagely biting that woman. Well... You can almost not blame him, but I feel sorry for the humans that have to get hurt as a result of other people's ignorance and cruelty. Tell me a little bit about uh, Poquito, um, because he is as cute as a bug's ear. He is. Poquito was a group of little um, ponies, and there probably were other animals too, that were surrendered to animal control in a hurting situation. And so he came here to the foundation um, 
he was probably eight months old, I think, with his mother and an aunt. And the mother and the aunt are now at another little sanctuary about his life here. Okay. Um, yeah, he looks like trouble. Yeah, he and the ponies just play roughly all day long. I can only imagine. Um, okay, I will, I'll come back to asking some more questions about some of the horses, but tell me about Gizmo. His, uh, his uh, caption says, the wrong horse at the wrong time. Yes, a woman contacted us many years ago, um, and she had tried to make a saddle horse out of Gizmo. And he definitely has some physical issues. And she ended up hurting her back, out in, not in a horse accident. It was uh, an accident unrelated to horses. But she was no longer to put it, um, able to put any effort into gizmo training. So she ended up taking him in there then, and he, there for quite a few years, he has been under saddle here, but he's very unsafe that he's extremely tense and unpredictable. Mm -hmm. So it does sound like, so for those horses that can be ridden, that you try to, um, to ride them. Yes, we do. And we have a horse program and use some of the horses that uh, fit the needs there to give riding lessons. Is that the uh, Equimore Academy that you're referring to? Yes, uh, that's part of it. Okay, so tell tell me a little bit more about the academy and, and how if somebody who was listening from Southern Oregon was um, interested in participating, how they would do that? Well, occasionally we have classes um, or from the outside. We've hosted um classes for law enforcement to help each the uh, sheriff's deputies and other people interested in what actually constitutes neglect and abuse in horses and how to score a body on a scale of one to nine as to its health, um, a one being a horse that's going to all dead at any moment, and a nine being a horse that's obese, morbidly obese. So we've hosted those classes, and then we've had large animal rescue classes um, where fire department and first responders and the sheriff's department sent their um, employees here to learn how to manage of a horse situation in a disaster, for instance, a horse that falls off of a bridge or a, a trailer accident, different situations like that. It lasted a couple of days. And also, we get just riding lessons to people who want to experience being on a horse's back. Well, and then for people that don't want to ride but do want to be around horses, um, do you have any type of just a, a ground program? Yes, we do. We um, have classes on uh, care and maintenance of horses, 
take income and learn how to groom and handle a horse on the ground or even lunge them if they'd like to. But most of the people that do just the groundwork are our volunteers. And then how many volunteers do you have? Well, we have a core group of less than 10. Oh, okay. Wow. That, so everybody's very committed, obviously. Our core, core group is just absolutely wonderful. And yes, they are very committed. And uh, I, I see that you have a, a unique program called Buy a Bale, Helping Horses One Month at a Time. Tell us a little bit about that program. So one of our main goals financially is to monthly recurring donations pay for all of our sort of core operating expenses. And one of the ways that we work toward that goal buy a bale program and people can sign up to buy one or two or five or however many bales a month they want to and that sort of the core program for our recurring donations. Okay, so I see here that for $80 a month you can actually buy four bales and feed a horse for a month and I like that you've shown that that's less than the price of a latte per day. So if we have any Starbucks aficionados out there, they could be using that Starbucks money to uh, help feed a horse for a month. Very true. Can we go online and um, click something and sign up and just have it hit our credit card on a monthly basis? You can do that through PayPal, through the website, or they can just call the office and we can set it up through our, our, our bank. Uh, okay. On the phone. So I hope people will do that because I know um, that keeping horses is not an inexpensive um, proposition by any stretch of the imagination. And it's not just the feeding, but also the veterinary care. Um, that horses need on a regular basis as well as their um, monthly hoof care. Yes, the uh, care for one horse here at the sanctuary costs about $400 a month. And, of course, that includes, you know, the ways, the payroll, the insurance, the feed, the vet care, the hoof care, and all of that. But uh, per horse. So I think a lot of people maybe don't know that horses have to have um, periodic. Um, I, I do mine every four weeks, but I know some people go six weeks or eight weeks, but that they need to have periodic hoof care because their hooves are just like fingernails and they grow and need to be trimmed and filed. And um, tell us a little bit about what happens to a horse if they don't get proper foot care. Well, that's one of the most heartbreaking um, situations that find horses in that are neglected. We've had several that come in that are emaciated near death's door because of starvation, but also haven't had hoof care for a long, long, long time. And their feet curl up and it affects all the bones and structures in their hoof and their lower leg as well as probably the rest of their body. But that's something extreme that you can't completely recover a horse from. That you can do the best you can for them and you can get their feet as normal as possibly can, but you cannot reverse 
the damage that's been done because of that lack of care. And those horses uh, be, are completely physically healthy, but they end up being put down because one day they can't get off the ground anymore. And I've seen some abuse cases where literally the hooves are curled up like the toes on an elf's um, shoe. Yeah, several of the victims here. Yeah. yeah. And, and just like um, nails that get too long on a dog, um, you can't just cut that off to the desired length. I mean, it's a long-term process for bringing those hooves back to quote-unquote normal, and and then you'd be lucky if you ever had a sound horse again. Well, actually, you can go in and cut off an, an, an enormous amount of overgrown hoof. You can't burst the damage that's been done to the delicate that are in the pastern and also the damage that's done to the structures of the hoof itself. We had a beautiful thoroughbred um, named Hoover came that had the flippered hooves that you're uh, He tried for six months to get his, he was sound, um, and the x-rays just showed, actually improved the structural damage. He ended up putting that horse down. Yes, and that's such a heartbreaking um, event. Uh, I've lost two horses in my life, and I'm sure I will lose more, but it is um, inconceivably um, heartbreaking when you have a passion for a horse and you lose that horse for any reason. Um, and I can only imagine what the two of you, um, Linda and Ruth, must go through when um, when you have to put down um, one of your horses that you've come to know and to love on the uh, sanctuary. It's just the worst thing ever. Sometimes it happens because a horse comes and a horse like Hoover just had to be done. But also because we're a sanctuary, we're generally here to accompany when they pass. Right. Yeah. So you are there for them at the end of their lifetime. Um, there are sanctuaries, you know, about rescue organizations throughout the country. Um, what makes your sanctuary um, unique to you, too? I think the first thing is most most of the sanctuaries aren't really sanctuaries. They're rescues. They rehab and adopt. I think that number of actual sanctuaries in the true sense of the world word is um, pretty limited uh -huh. so really um, what makes you different is that a horse comes to Equimore Foundation and it is there for its life there for its life and I and I think you know we've undertaken kind of a big project here in purchasing the charity purchasing the facility and while that's obviously really challenging financially, we sort of felt like we had to do that to ensure that it could be ongoing past me and Linda, for example. 
know, and our expectation our expectation that this sanctuary is going to continue, you know, forever, we hope. Well, and you br you bring up a really good point because um, I work with a lot of not-for-profit organizations that do rescue or um, sanctuary-type work, and, and one of the challenges always is, is the longevity of that organization past the founders or um, the people that really had the, the vision and the foresight um, to create the organization, and, and that takes a big vision and it takes a strong board of directors and um, it is wonderful that your organization owns your facility. Um, tell us a little bit more of how you vision that for the future. You know how the, the operation goes going forward? Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, assuming that we're successful in paying off our mortgage, which <laughs> we will be because we have to be, right? Right. Um, you know, there's some younger people in the organization that I think eventually will take over for me and Linda. Um, and we're just hoping to get to a point where it's not quite as difficult every month. <laughs> well, and, and that is a good point because small organizations like yours are always financially challenged. And so you're always looking for ways to um, raise donations, raise awareness, create programs and incentives for people to become uh, regular donors. And it looks like you have a lot of good ideas. Tell us a little bit about your join a support team program. So a, a lot of donors and that I would include myself in this category really like the idea of contributing to a particular horse um, and kind of watching that horse's progress. So people can um, join a support team for a particular horse by just directing their dollars towards that horse every month. And we have people that, you know, donate $20 a month for that particular horse. We have people that make the $400 a month for that horse. And frequently those people will come out, they'll know the horse, they'll visit it. It's just kind of a way for them to connect more charity than sending a check. Sure, where you just don't feel like it's going into a black hole. You're actually giving to a specific animal who um, appreciates and needs your support. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I, th I think that's a great idea. I just want to remind our listeners that you are listening to All My Children Wear Fur Coats on Pet Will Radio. If you have questions or comments, you can chat with us live at mixlr.com forward slash petwill. You can also join the conversation on Facebook at All My Children Wear Fur Coats. And today's show is brought to you by the Law Offices of Hoyt and Bryan, MyPetWill.com, and PetFriendly.Love. I'm your host, Peggy Hoyt, and today we are talking with Linda Davis and Ruth Kennedy, both from Equimore Foundation, located in Southern Oregon, and they are an equine, a horse sanctuary, where horses that are abused or neglected go to live out the rest of their lifetime. And um, we thank you so much for the work that you're doing, ladies. So I'm not sure whether, are you, are you still with me? Yeah, we're here. Sorry. Okay, excellent. So 
let's talk a little bit about why um, why there is such a problem with the abuse or neglect of horses on a a nationwide or even a worldwide basis. Do you do you have some opinions on that? Sure, um, we we have a lot of opinions on that. So the statistics show that there are about 170,000 horses in the United States every single year. And you know the question: Why do they become unwanted? And that generally why they become neglected or abused because. I think it kind of falls into two categories. One okay. Is people, people tend to get a horse for a reason, and then that reason doesn't exist anymore. You know, the daughter went off to college, or thing and can't take the horse, or you can't ride anymore. This is lame, so you can't ride them. So rather than making a lifetime commitment to that animal, people tend to, to get them for a particular purpose, and things change for people those horses become unwanted. The second cause is really overbreeding. So of the 170,000 horses each year, about 100,000 of those get sent to slaughter. And of the registered thoroughbreds are born every year, about, about half of those end up at slaughter. So Two, just as an example, the two largest breeds of unwanted horses are our sport horses, the quarter horse and the thoroughbred. So I think it's a combination of just people not understanding the kind of commitment they need to make to an animal when they get it. Secondly, just massive overbreeding that goes on. Well, and I guess we could apply my philosophy for uh, dogs and cats to horses, which would be until there are none, adopt one, um, don't breed one. Um, but so many people, you know, they, they see a nice stallion or they see a nice mare and they say, oh, you ought to breed that horse. But the reality is you don't know what you're going to get. So as a horse owner and lover, you're much better off to adopt or um, find a horse that needs a home because then you can get exactly what you're looking for. Yeah, and, and you know, we have a program called the Oregon Hay Bank where people who have horses that are having a hard time kind of apply for assistance and we'll help, you know, pay for hay for them or pay for a vet to come and take care of what needs to be taken care of. Also, we'll pay to have a horse gelded. And we won't give assistance as a rule where they're keeping stallions for exactly that reason. So we've seen applicants who refuse to geld their horses. They can't feed them, and the next year they're asking for assistance, and they now have more horses, right? So it'd just be better if people didn't breed horses. Um, I agree. That would that would be true. Now, fortunately, um, horses are not dogs and cats, so they don't their gestation periods are longer, and they tend to only have one at a time. But um, at the same time, they are you know thousand pound animals that take an incredible amount of effort and money to take care of. And um, I th- I think a long time if all goes well. They do live a long time. That is true, and they can live a long time even with. Um, certain physical deformities and uh, or health challenges and and people I think are not aware of that 
A, their their lifespan, because I know people are always surprised when I say that horses can live to be 30 or 35, or I'm sure you know of some that have lived to be even older than that. We had one here, our oldest horse was 43. 43 years old. Well, I'm absolutely certain that my Mustang Reno will probably live to be that old just because. <laughs> <laughs> Because he wants to, and he's a lot like your guy um, that has a, uh, a big appetite and a lot of opinions, and he's my, my boss gelding. <laughs> um, he's also a wild Mustang that came out of the uh, BLM program. Do you ever get any Mustangs into your sanctuary? We have several of them here, and those are usually our horses that are the most emotionally challenged. They've had really harsh beginnings and often uh, with cruel training techniques used on them, and their brains have just been fried. They have to learn to trust us again, and, and it's a dangerous situation dealing with them until they do. I think there's a misconception, and you can comment on this, that uh, wild horses are just untrained domestic horses. That is untrue. Um, wild. They haven't been around human beings. They've had years of um, being in a herd, living with horses. Now they get plucked from that, and people try to force themselves and their training techniques on them and destroy them mentally. I've seen that up close, um, ho some horses that have been just so emotionally damaged because of the uh, the treatment that they received. There's a, uh, a local wild horse rescue here in my community that I've spent a lot of time at. And, of course, having adopted two Mustangs myself, um, I have experienced firsthand um, the needs of a wild horse and the way that they have to be trained and the amount of time um, and patience that it can take to um, establish a relationship with a wild horse. And, um, and I think it probably goes, and you can comment on this as well, to um, ignorance. People don't know what they're getting into. If they did know, they probably wouldn't get a Mustang. <laughs> Yes. I mean, I think some of them see, oh, it's a $125 adoption fee. It's an inexpensive way to get a horse. And, um, and yet that what they're getting is not really what they envisioned, I'm sure. So um, lots of horses that need homes, 170,000 unwanted horses. Um, Every year. What do you think we can do about that? What's what's the best approach, do you think, as people who love horses? Until people stop overbreeding horses for special use, um, and until people that get horses for their own personal use start making a lifetime commitment to those horses, the problem will never be solved. So likely we will be dealing with, with this for a long, long time. Um, let me ask you a question. Do you ever, do horses ever end up at Equimore Foundation B 
because um, their owner passed away and there was no plan for how that animal was going to be cared for? Well, we end up getting calls like that regularly. Um, throughout this last month, we've had seven horses in that situation looking for a new home. For people that hadn't provided for what happens if something happens to me. So that's one of my passions, and that's really why I do this show, is to try to educate um, listeners and animal lovers about the importance of creating a plan, um, an estate plan that includes your animals, because if we're being responsible animal owners, um, it is our obligation to make sure that if something happens to us that our pets are being taken care of. Um, I don't care if it's a cat, a dog, a hamster, a horse. Um, we need to have a plan. It's not someone else's responsibility. And so really that's why our organization, MyPetWill.com, was created. And that's to give people the ability to very easily go online, create a trust for the benefit of your pets, appoint pet caregivers, appoint trustees, and create online biographical and historical profiles for those animals so that the uh, pet caregivers can know how to take care of those pets. So let's say that I came to you and said, you know, I have three horses that I want to create a plan for, and I'm willing to leave you X number of dollars for their lifetime care. Is that something that works as part of your mission at Equimore? I mean, that would have to be a very large check, honestly. It's it's not kind of what we do. Mm-hmm. Not a boarding place. We're also not a retirement facility. Right. So um, we take just so many horses. You know, right now, um, with the employees and the volunteers that we have, our um, workforce is stretched to the limit, and for We want to be here for horses that have absolutely no alternatives for their care, like the seizures and surrenders through the Sheriff's Department. As our our Sheriff's Department has no facility, and without us, they won't seize or get these horses surrendered that are in these severe neglect situations. To your point on the estate planning, um, we have horses that we have because not because the person died, but they became incapacitated, unable to care. So we have a horse here that his owner had a stroke. Excellent point. And I think that's often overlooked as well as we tend to think of the only way we wouldn't be able to take care of our pets is if we died. And yet um, becoming disabled is, is as likely prior to death as any other um, option. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, you know, trying to find solutions. I mean, this one horse I was just referring to, that horse was not adoptable. Dangerous animals, right? People would just be more mindful of that, that, you know, something happened short of death that's going to endanger their animal. Um, That would be, you know, super. 
Well, and certainly assuming that family members or friends are going to take on that responsibility is ill-advised. Yeah, I agree with that. Because um, I don't know too many people, um, none, very few of my friends would be willing to take my horses. I mean, they might take one, but they're not going to take all three. Um, and again, you don't have that confidence that they're going to take that horse with a lifetime commitment behind it. And I think that's the hardest part for, I guess, the older I get, the um, the less willing I would be to part with any of my animals. But um, I've only ever parted with uh, two horses in my life, and um, that was when I was a young person, and um and I fall into that category, I guess, of, you know, the purpose for that particular animal was finished. And fortunately, you know, I was able to place, well, one of them went back to the Humane Society of the United States, just as an FYI, um, and to its original owner. And then the second one was an off-the-track thoroughbred who I ultimately sold, but because of her temperament, she had a heart attack and passed away. You so know, you asked earlier about, you know, we're just going to be living with this problem forever. Right. In my view, I'm a retired lawyer, so I tend to think a lot about sort of legal issues. And one of the things that I find so troubling is just how horses are treated under the law. Mm-hmm. So when the law says, oh, no, they're not a companion animal, they're not a dog, they're not a cat, they're livestock, they're yes. essentially a crop. Um, set such a low standard for care. Um, and then when you apply really minimal law enforcement efforts against that really low standard of care, not a lot of help there for, for horses. I would love to see same kind of laws apply to horses that apply to dogs, for example. Um, and I don't think until we raise the standard and actually start holding people accountable, you know, we're going to solve this problem either. I agree. And is is that Ruth that's speaking right now, Ruth Kennedy? Yes. Yes. So, Ruth, you bring up a really good point that I'm sure many people have never considered, and that is the way that we classify horses under our various protection laws or non-protection laws, if you want to call them that, um, because they are or tend to be classified as livestock for lots of purposes. And, um, and as you mentioned, that creates a different standard of care. Um, and I'm sure people don't think about that, that we, you know, those of us who love horses think of horses as members of our family and our pets. Um, but there's a whole legal community out there um, that thinks about horses as livestock no better than um, cows or pigs. But I'm one that would fall into the category of thinking they should all be treated, you know, on an equal par as well with um, how we would treat our dogs and cats. But you're correct. Until we have a major movement in this country to improve the way um, we treat all animals, but particularly um, anything that's classified as livestock or research, or um, there's very little to no protection for birds in this country as well. Um, until we reach a point in our own um, evolution, 
as animal lovers and guardians for our earth's animals, I, we're going to continue to have these problems. Um, and I'm so grateful to organizations like yours because um, you are the first stop for many law enforcement agencies because they really do not have many options when it comes to what do you do with a horse. Well, in our county, they have none. They can't find a local rescue or equimore. I mean, it's not like they can show up at the local dog and cat shelter and say, hey, do you, do you have a place you can keep this horse? Right. At least in our county, animal control, run by the same people that run the animal shelter, right? Yes. You've got a combination of a facility and law enforcement find, go out and address all about of canyon animals. Uh, horses just get relegated to the sheriff's department here. I know it's different in other places. And aside from there being no resources for them, it's just not high on their priority either because it's livestock. Right. And and not something that they really have the ability to deal with on a daily basis. So tell our listeners how they can help if they want to be able to help and where they can find you online. So um, they can go online to www.equamore.org. Or they can call us at 541-482-5550, and you can make a donation right over the phone. And you have a newsletter called The Naysaver, so people can sign up for your newsletter. I see that you have a variety of events, including the ability to rent out your facility for an event. Yes, that's true. He has several weddings here and at least one planned next year in May. Well, it looks like a beautiful facility and it looks like that indoor arena would be awesome for any number of potential events. We have an annual event here called um, Beyond the Finish Line after Derby After Party. It's on the same weekend as the Derby. And it's not because we are condoning horse racing about what happens to the horse after the finish line. And so that is our major annual fundraiser, and it's done right here in the indoor arena. Okay. That sounds incredible. I I hope to get out to uh, Southern Oregon at some point and have an opportunity to come and visit your facility. And... I would extend an invitation to the two of you that if you're ever in the Orlando, Florida area to let me know and I'll be happy to uh, introduce you to some of the kind folks that are doing sanctuary work here as well. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you so much for having us and giving us a chance to talk about. Well, it's been my pleasure and I... You know, as as I could say, it you know, horses are are truly my passion. I have way more dogs than I have horses, but um, little easier to take care of. Um, and before we end up, um, what keeps you motivated year after year for um, what you do? There's just so much need. Just 
endless. If we have the facility and the money and the personnel, we'd have thousands and thousands of horses here. It's just, how do you say no? As long as you can manage to take care of them, I just can't turn them down. So saying no, I imagine, would be nearly impossible. It is very difficult, and we have to say no a lot. And um, one of the most difficult things that I do. I, I know that people have said to me before, you know, Peggy, I don't, uh, I have a horse that's either old or um, broken down or, you know, the purpose has um, come to an end. And uh, who do you know that I could just give this horse to? And, um, and I'm always at a loss because I don't know anybody that um, wants to take on someone else's responsibility um, when it comes to an old or a broken down horse. Um, and, and I really want that person to be responsible for the animal that they brought home. Well, your sentiments are exactly ours, that's for sure. So if you can help, and if you can help uh, Equimore Foundation or the Oregon Hay Bank, I like the idea of being able to help others that maybe um, it could keep a horse in its home, um, especially if it's a relatively good home. They're just having some financial um, needs. That would be nice. Um, I see that you're a member of the Global Federation of Animal Sanctuaries. And um, for people who are so inclined um, and do a lot of Amazon shopping, you can sign up at Amazon Smile to make a donation every time you make a purchase to Equimore Foundation. So um, I'm a big Amazon shopper, so I try to help as many organizations as I can that way. So, ladies, thank you very much for your time. Thanks for joining us, and I hope our listeners will support you. And for our listeners, we'll be back next Monday at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. You're listening to All My Children Wear Fur Coats. You can find us on Facebook at All My Children Wear Fur Coats or on Twitter at Kids in Fur Coats. And this show was brought to you today by the law offices of Hoyt & Bryan, MyPetWill.com, and petfriendly.love. Until there are none, please adopt one and happy tales. Thank you for joining us on Pet Will Radio. Visit petwillradio.com for updates on shows, links to previous shows, inspirational stories, videos, and more. Until next time, take care. Welcome to 